Hello, bookworms. Welcome to The Best Book Ever, the podcast where we get to know interesting people by asking them about their favorite books. I'm your host, Julie Strauss, and today's guest changed my perception of a book before I even talked to him. Stephen Pelton is the artistic director of the London-based Stephen Pelton Dance Theatre and associate director for the York Dance Project and the Cohan Collective. When I met him through previous guest of the show, David Mills, Stephen told me that he's read Virginia Woolf's Mrs. Dalloway many times over the course of his life. So when I went to read it for this episode, I tried to look at it through the eyes of a dancer, and it changed the whole book for me. I can't wait for you to hear how Stephen uses this book in his dance classes. Stephen, will you tell my listeners what you do? Sure. I am a dance teacher and a choreographer, and I also work um, as associate director for a couple of companies other than my own dance company. When did you start dancing? Uh, I started dancing, I was probably 15, 16. I was um, really into theater, musical theater, and I didn't really have any dance training. And people were telling me, well, if you want to do musicals, you better learn how to dance. So I started taking dance classes. And then when I went to college, I started choreographing. And and I'm sure we'll get to it, but that's around the same time I started reading Virginia Woolf as well. So they were kind of very um simultaneous interests of mine so is 15 late to start dancing is that unique or is that common uh i think it would have been great if i had started sooner let's put it that way Mm. it's great for any dancer if they start sooner particularly for female dancers um they say because of how their bodies develop and you'd have to go to somebody who understands the science better than me. Um, But, you know, particularly if a dancer, I think male or female, um, is going to go into classical dance, then you want to work into learning dance technique, you know, while while your musculature is still forming and while your skeletal system is still forming. Uh, And the later one starts, then often the harder it is to sort of adjust to that. All of that said... I come from a a dance background that's about working with one's anatomy rather than working against one's anatomy. So, so really you should be able to start at any point in your life, but it is quite a, you know, it's quite a rigorous um, technical challenge to do a decent double pirouette, let's say. Uh, And it takes a lot of years and it takes, uh, it takes a lot of dedication. So, um, there's also a mindset to becoming a dancer that I think the sooner you you get into that, kind of the better. I'm sure you hear this all the time from lay people, but what do you say to people who say to you, I could never be a dancer. I'm so klutzy. I'm so oafish. I just, I, I can't do it. I, I've got two left feet. I, you must hear that all the time. What do you say to that? Yeah. I say, if you want to take a dance class, go take a dance class. Um uh, more often than hearing that, I hear, oh, I love to dance. I you, I just hear the music and I'm there. I love going to weddings because I get to dance when I'm at a wedding. I'm like, well, you know, go go to a dance class then. Or put music on and dance around the house. Or, or invite people over to dance before COVID, obviously. Uh, but th- I, I do actually hear that more than I hear, oh, I'm too klutzy to be uh-huh. a dancer. It's like, it's not about being a dancer. It's about dancing. 
they're different things. Do you do that? Do you before COVID, obviously, do you have people over to your house and and have dance parties? Please tell me you do. Uh, Oh, I do. Well, yeah, I had a massive. It's funny. I was just thinking about this today. I had a massive dance party, which our mutual friend, David Mills, was the uh, MC for Uh, on my 50th birthday. I had about, I think, 150 people. (laughs) So it was a. I had a big dance party and I was. I always thought, okay, I've done that now. I've had a massive dance party on my 50th. I doubt I'll ever do that again. But now after COVID, if we can have a big dance party when I'm 60, which is just a couple of years from now, we're doing it. I'll send you an invitation. I can't <laughs> wait. Are we going to get David to MC again? Because that sounds like the party. Yeah, I think we should have David, you know, if we can Perfect. get him back, you know, yeah. Yeah, he's big time now. So I don't know. I don't know. He might be out of our league, but yeah. we'll see. We'll work on it. <laughs> we'll see. What was your reading life like in general before you discovered Virginia Woolf? Because I was a theater kid, I read a lot of plays when I was be- before I went to college, like before I was reading Woolf. I'm not actually sure. I know I did read a lot of plays, so I, you know, I was really into Eugene O'Neill, so I read all of Eugene O'Neill or um and I was really a musical theater kid, so I spent a lot of time like listening to musicals and reading the scripts and that kind of stuff. When you read a play, are you able to envision it as a performance? I, I love to read plays, but they're a lot better after I've seen it because I don't think <sighs> I have. I don't think I quite have the mind. Um, a, a really one of my best mates is a is a playwright, and we've collaborated together a few times. And I'm always amazed when I if we and I, he and I have read a play the same play and I and then I say god I I just can't imagine it how it would work on its feet and he's like oh I can I I know it's a different skill it's a different skill from reading yeah. a novel and um yeah I, but I think that's fascinating about reading plays like I, I love to go and read the scripts after I've seen a play and go wow that you know I would never have necessarily put all that in there and but that's also a lot about um, what happens in rehearsal, right, with any piece of theater is that you mine what's there uh, as you create the performance. Although, yes, it has to be on the page. I think so much of what, what ends up being on stage is about what gets discovered in, in rehearsal. I will say that literature is, is sort of the most uh, – it's what I bring into the studio most – for to to inspire movement even more so than music uh more so than sort of a task-based choreography uh, exercises which is how a lot of people work um so like you'd say this is a very very generic task but you could say you know get from this side of the studio to that side of the studio go to the floor three times and jump once and then the dancer has to figure out what that is or you say you know um if i was working with kids it might be like you know spell your name with but you know using your head or something like that and then take that and turn that into a phrase of movement so something like that but i do work off of literature quite a bit and i've worked with wolf quite a bit and um and I think part of that is because whether or not we're seeing what we're being told is abstract dance or non-narrative dance, we're human beings. And so when the lights go down and then the lights go up, something begins and we start making up stories. And a lot of people 
are very feel very alienated by dance because they're like, I'm not going to know what it means. I'm not going to know what it's about. And and I understand that anxiety. And somehow I found that if I start with words, even if the words get abstracted or translated into something where you don't necessarily know what the word was, it can still be apprehended by an audience as something specific. And that's what an audience wants. You know what I'm saying? We don't, they don't necessarily want to know the story. They want to know that it's something specific or feel something specific. And I, I find that when I start with words, it often leads to something quite specific. Or so, I hope it does. When you say you start with words, does that mean when you're describing something to your dancers, instead of giving them a task, you're saying, I want you to express middle-aged boredom or is, is that <laughs> just, just a completely just, random just me basically. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, no, what I'm, what I generally mean to start with words is, you know, for instance, um, you know, there's a, a particular paragraph in Mrs. Dalloway that I have used many, many, many times. And whether that's in rehearsal, like making something of my own with a different set of dancers, or if I'm doing a choreography workshop or, uh, you know, something else, it's just like, here's a passage of, of text and it has great words. It has great images. It has great punctuation. It has great rhythm. Go make something up that, that comes out of this. And it doesn't mean, you know, don't necessarily literally perform each word. But just just let this be the thing that compels your movement invention. Um, Will you share that passage with us? Sure. Uh, this is a passage quite early in the book where um, Clarissa has been thinking about Miss Kilman, the character of Miss Kilman, who is the tutor, her daughter's tutor. Um, and she knows that... Um, Miss Kilman, um, that her daughter Elizabeth is, um, that they're very, very close and, and she's jealous of her. Um, she also doesn't like Miss Kilman because Miss Kilman is, um, she's an intellectual and she's religious and probably a lesbian. Um, so she's just talked about how, um, well, basically she kind of hates her or she's experiencing feelings of hate towards her. It's one sentence. This is one sentence. It rasped her, though, to have stirring about in her this brutal monster, to hear twigs cracking and feel hooves planted down in the depths of that leaf-encumbered forest, the soul, never to be content quite, or quite secure, for at any moment the brute would be stirring, this hatred, which especially since her illness had power to make her feel scraped, hurt in her spine gave her physical pain, and made all pleasure in beauty, in friendship, in being well, in being loved, and making her home delightful, rock, quiver, and bend, as if indeed there were a monster grubbing at the roots, as if the whole panoply of content were nothing but self-love, this hatred. So... How could you not fall in love with that? <laughs> it's just so good. There's so much in it. Of the many, many great lines and passages, why do you give this one to your dancers? Um, so I was I was trying to think about 
what this connection was for me between Wolf and when I started choreographing. And I think that she she so gets this um, that the mind and body are the same thing, you know. And as as much as she gets maybe uh, talked about or criticized or you know whatever summarized as an intellectual, her work is really. you know bodily it's really it's really embodied um you know and she's really passionate and it's very 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 physical um and so in this passage uh you know it starts it rasped her it's not that this feeling bothers her it rasps her spine so immediately you're in this very specific physical state um you know, to have stirring about in her this brutal monster. So she's got a monster stirring in her. Um, and and in the passage before, she's talking about, you know, how she feels Miss Kilman is inferior to her. She doesn't wear nice clothes. She lives in what she considers a slum, which, you know, to Mrs. Dalloway is probably something pretty fabulous because you know she's very upper class um you know so it starts out with like all of these ideas she has about how she's inferior to to her um but then it becomes this this physical sensation of of uh of hooves planted down in the depths of that leaf encumbered forest the soul you know and so it's that physicality that that wolf just she just does it so well and then also um just going back to what i was trying to do earlier which is to to look at how how, so that's one sentence with exclamation points throughout semicolons throughout commas um you know there's just this kind of rhythmic feeling of how um how thought happens how thought and feeling happen and how they um, interact and how, how they go from sensation to thought to consciousness to expression back to sensation. That, that kind of sequence of, you know, just how we, how we experience life. Yeah. What are some of the different interpretations of this that you've seen when you share this with your student dancers? You know, it, it, it suggests a lot of different physical states that one that one sentence and then of course it has images like a monster um roots um rock quiver bend uh you know those are all words that we can just you can you know i mean a another thing i've done kind of based on this too is just to just take those words out so rather than that kind of that's that's another way of working right so rather than someone trying to make a sort of long phrase of material that mirrors what's happening in the text. It's just like rock, quiver, monster, rasped, spine, forest, encumbered. And use that as a sequence. Ugh. And they're just prompts. They're just prompts, mm-hmm. really. It's just it, it's just sort of ways of maybe me getting out of my own head um, or a dancer getting out of their own head and just going, okay, rocked, quiver, like just quickly, what, how am I responding to these things? And maybe that, um, that immediacy of that kind of, um, reacting to those prompts. I mean, maybe that's similar 
in a way to what writing those things would be of like, okay, here's a feeling and I'm going to write it. And these words are going to come out really fast. If you're a genius like Virginia Woolf. Um, and so maybe I'm trying to imitate that, you know, that stream of, of thought and action and words and images. I don't know. I don't know if that makes sense. It makes complete sense. And you know, it's so interesting to me that you said earlier that her writing, and I don't know if you mean just this book or her writing in general is so passionate because um, I, I, it felt to me like repression, this whole book, every single character is very passionate, but is so repressed and that passage in particular captures it precisely especially that word rasped i can't get over that word yeah gives you such a cringe yeah but it's not outwardly violent in any sense right it's you know that sensation when you're doing your lemon on the zester and you scrape your finger on it (laughs) you know and yeah you rasp your fingers you rasp your finger and it is a terrible feeling and it's awful and it ruins your night because you know lemon juice is in this cut and you're pissed off all night but it's not an outward violence it's a very small violence Hmm. ruins things oh god the word is so good it's a great word i I mean and yeah i think you're right in mrs dalloway many if not all of the characters are struggling with what they're feeling and how their social situations are keeping them either repressed or oppressed or, or antagonized. And, Mm -hmm. and then there's this whole, I don't want to say war struggle that they're having with the past and with their memories and all of that. But if you take, there's plenty of passages in, I'm sure in Mrs. Dalloway, but in other books, let's say The Waves or something like that, that are just about sublime and, you know, incredible sort of rapturous lyrical passion. And, and you know, and because she is a person who ended, who ended her life and because she was quite troubled and, you know, lived with a, quite a lot of turmoil, uh, there's this image we have that people have of Virginia Woolf that she about her suffering through this mental illness. And, and I'm sure, uh, you know, I don't want to minim- minimize that at all. She suffered with her mental illness quite a bit. Uh, and at the same time, she also had this unbelievable ability to capture what the um, rhythmic cadence of life is you know, and, and, and the incredible just appreciation for weather and nature and, 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 um, movement, movement, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, it's really all through her work and, um, people will say, oh, well, what did you think of the film, The Hours? And that That's one portrayal, of my questions. You know, I bet you were going to get to that question. <laughs> and it's just like, and I, you know, I haven't seen that film in a very long time, but I remember seeing it and it was just like, she's just tortured in this movie. Which doesn't say it's a bad film or, and, and I remember enjoying the book when I first read it. Uh, It's just, it's like, that's only one side of who she was. And of course you have to create your story for the film, but it's like, she was also hilarious. She was hilariously funny. Um, And, you know, there's lots of people saying that she holds forth at a dinner party and you just, you can't stop her because (laughs) she's Virginia Woolf. Um, (laughs) But you know she she's absolutely hilarious, and if you read 
a room of one's own or Orlando or something like that. You know, this is, this is she loves to laugh. I was very conscious of the fact that I was going to be discussing it with a dancer, which mm. changed my reading of it. I could see these characters sort of spinning in and out of each other's orbits and the way we went after this person and then after this next person, it became a much bigger show for me than it ever Mm. has before when I've gotten distracted by it and gone, what does this have to do with Clarissa? I didn't see it as well as I did this time. And so I think it's interesting that you... To your point that you just made, she is very physical and she is very interested in movement and right. connection, right. which I did not see until I thought about it as a dance. So, I mean, <clears throat> we've just been talking about how much movement there is, let's say, in that paragraph. But then there's also the the, the overall movement several different layers of overall movement in the book. So it's a, it's a map, basically. It's first of all, it's a map, you know, you can do, you can follow Clarissa Dalloway's walk through London. Um, and, but it is a map of London in a lot of ways, because you have all these different places where all these different things are happening and you have, uh, the different points at which the characters intersect. Um, and then they're all united in in these moments by the sound of big ben big ben striking um and you know it's very cinematic mm-hmm. the book in a lot of ways and you know we have you have to remember that it was written at a time when cinema was relatively new we're spending so much time talking about these movements and 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 maps and and these layers but how, how do you describe this book it's very hard to describe. You know, it's about a day in the life of of this woman, and but but even, I mean, what what happened to me reading it this time, is I got I got really preoccupied with all the peripheral characters. Maybe because I know who Clarissa is, I know who Septimus is, or not that I know. I mean, she changes every time I read it. They all change every time you read it. But I became really curious about all the other the more peripheral characters like Miss Kilman or like Rezia Septimus's wife and, and just sort of what their thoughts were and how that all folds back into the story. So I don't know, I guess, what would you say? I don't know because it's so easy to reduce it to the basic plot, which is a woman is throwing a party and goes out to buy flowers. The surface level plot is has so little to do with what the book is actually about. Right, right. Which, which that, I love that about it. Yes, I love that the the frame of a woman is hosting a party, uh, and also even the 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 parallel story that a shell shocked young man commits suicide. But those are both just frames Mm -hmm. on which we, you know, she hangs all of this other stuff that's um, impossible to describe because it's about time and memory and love and aging and... um, 
war. Now, how many times do you think you've read this book? At least 10, but probably more. But, you know, I first read it 40 years ago, so. <laughs> Throughout your life, what has made you pick it up again? Um, well, I'm a bit fanatic about Wolf, so, um, and, you know, I'm kind of an obsessive person. She's a great person to be obsessed with because there's, mm, I don't know, 10 novels. There's six volumes of letters. There's five volumes of diaries. There's six volumes of essays. There's a thousand and one different um, books written about her. So I'm, I'm always reading something of hers. At the very beginning of the pandemic, um, I was reading an article in The Guardian about it was Wolf's birthday. Oh, no, it wasn't. It was the anniversary of her suicide, which is uh, the 28th of March. And then very soon after that, there were a whole bunch of articles that came out about something that's not talked about, or I hadn't seen it talked about that much in the past, about how Clarissa is an influenza survivor. So, you know, just before this book takes place, there was the Spanish flu influenza, um, influenza pandemic. And... Um, and that when she's talking, it's in this, it's in that paragraph, actually, any moment the brute would be stirring this hatred, which, especially since her illness had the power to make her feel scraped hurt in her spine. So she's been through a life threatening illness as had millions and millions of people around her. Mm -hmm. Um, so I had just started then at that time, I just was reading, seeing things about uh, Mrs. Dalloway as a pandemic novel. You know, again, I don't want to reduce it to that. It's a post-war novel. Uh, it's also a London novel, you know, it's all, it's all, it's all those different things, mm -hmm. but it's really, it was really interesting to then be reading it at the beginning of this, at the, of the beginning of the pandemic. So I read it then, and then I read it again in the summer because I was getting ready to talk to you, but then we didn't get to talk until now. So I read it again, just, but it, it was completely different than when I read it in the summer. How so? I think, again, it has to do with that thing of that there's so much in it. There's so much reality in it that then whatever the, my reality is at that time, whatever emotional state I might be in at that time, I start finding it in different places in the, in the book. So it, it just, it just uh, adheres itself in a way to to whatever's going on in my life. I mean, these, these last couple of times I read it, it's the first time that I remember reading it where I'm actually older than Clarissa or Sally or Peter, you know, cause I'm now in my late fifties. Um, and, and I'm sure you have that experience when you read where, you know, you go back to a book that you read first as a teenager, or maybe in your twenties or thirties. And you're like, Oh, this is, completely different than when I read it as a young person. I saw you glance up like that when you said 10 novels. Does that mean you have, do you have a collection? Oh man, you, you don't want to see. I do actually. <laughs> I'll, I'll just show you, should I take you in and I'll show you, I'll just show you like the main bookcase. Cause it's pretty sweet. Sure. But this isn't fair to our listeners. I know I'm going to have to describe it as we go. This is like on the ground reporting. Okay. Okay. I'll tell you a couple interesting stories, but, um, so we moved into this flat. There was only one built-in bookshelf. And so of course I had to put all my sort of, so these are just the sort of, um, you know, primary sources. Those are all Virginia Woolf books. Yeah. 
on the top shelf, you've got the diaries, the essays, and the letters. And then you've got a couple of transcriptions of the of the drafts. I've got a bunch of the drafts and stuff. Oh and then gosh. you have these cra- crazy expensive um, Cambridge University Press versions that are really great because they have these really, really detailed notes. So all the English history and all the literary references that I would never get are in those. Um, and then a bunch of other biographical sources. But that's just one shelf, really. It's crazy. Are there more shelves of Virginia Woolf? Or your mm-hmm. other bookshelves have other authors? I have lots of other authors. <laughs> <laughs> no, I have lots of other authors. Um, okay. But like I said, there's so much material, um, critical stuff and then biographical stuff. So actually, I'll show you another little set. I like I like sets of things. So, for instance, those green ones, those are all... Those are all what was called the uniform edition. So they were all Hogarth Press, and they were all in that lovely green cloth. But then the Hogarth Press is the press that she and Leonard Wolf created together. So, I mean, it was only her first two novels that, that, that they didn't print themselves, which is another thing that's just so fascinating about her. She was just, she understood that if she was going to write the way she wanted to, she would have to be her own publisher, mm-hmm. that she wasn't going to let anyone edit her. Why Virginia Woolf for you, of all the authors that you've read in your life? A choreographer who I had the um, privilege to work with who died last year, Robert Cohan. He died at 95. He was still choreographing. And he talked a lot about that that movement of the body should be the same as the movement of the mind. And it's kind of what we were talking about earlier about why work with text. It's like the when you're watching a dance, it should be so... um, should be so clear that it feels the same as words feel, right? It should feel like thought. It should feel like speech. It should be it the the body. It should be the way the mind moves when you're saying a sentence. But that's how that's how clear it should be. That doesn't mean it should be intellectual, and that doesn't mean it. That doesn't mean you, as a dancer, I mean, as an as an audience at dance, need to know what the thought was. It just needs to have that kind of that kind of clarity, and I and I just think there's something about her. Um, I think that's what she was working for. That's what she was working towards was finding a way to express that uh, condition. So tell me, what are you reading right now? Like I said, I do. I do. I'm kind of obsessive. So it's like if I read one book by someone and I really like it, then I'll be like, oh, what else? So um, recently, I read. Uh, the Promise by Damon Galgut, which won the Booker this year. And I hadn't read anything of his, and uh, that's a fantastic book. Um, he's a South African writer. And uh, and then I just like instantly had to read several more of his. So um, he has a book called The Good Doctor, which is fantastic, and um, In a Strange Room, which I really, really liked that one a lot. I've been reading a lot of Patricia Highsmith uh <laughs> <laughs> stories just because I'd only read a couple ever. And I just got onto this kick of, of reading her. And it's just really nice to read um, stories about terrible people. <laughs> they're, all murderers. they're all murderers and they're all yeah. crazy. Great. Um, and it, it's just really nice. Cause they're very, I don't want to say they're easy to read, but they're just, they're just, they're just, they're just great stories. So I've been reading a lot of her. Um 
I've just read this amazing book um, called No One Is Talking About This by Patricia Lockwood. And what's that? Yeah, it's really one of the most original things I've read in a long time. It's um, a lot about the online world. So it's this woman, the narrator, who she's she's very she's some kind of internet star. Or it, it's never quite clear unless I missed it, um, that she's got a lot of followers and people are waiting to hear what she has to say about this or that. And she, I guess she's an influencer or something like that. Um, and she's really living in her computer and her sister is pregnant and her sister gives birth to this child that has um, Proteus syndrome, which is what the elephant man had. Oh, okay. Which is that So parts of her body just continue to grow while other parts don't. Okay. Um, and this experience of of having to deal and look after this this baby who has this syndrome sort of just like pushes her out of this virtual world and into the real world, um, and it, it's just it's just incredibly beautiful and hilarious, really, really, really funny, and it's all in these very short little paragraphs, and I I I, I can't wait to read it again. Actually, it's really I thought it was really incredible. Well, Stephen, this has been so great talking to you. Will you tell my listeners where they can find you and your work? You can find me on uh, Facebook, Stephen Pelton Dance Classes. Stephen Pelton Contemporary Dance Classes or just Stephen Pelton on Facebook. Um, And probably the same on Twitter and Instagram, which I hardly ever use. So don't come looking for me there. If you're traveling, if you're traveling to the Edinburgh Fringe, I am going to be premiering a new work there this summer in August. Oh, exciting! Um, which is called "End with End Without Days." Yeah, or come to a dance class in London um, when the studios are open, which they are now. I, I teach open classes, so you can find out about that on Facebook. Yeah. Super. This has been so great. Thank you so much for joining me. I hope you'll come back anytime you have a book you want to tell me about. It's I'd love to keep talking about books. We have to, It'll have to be something other than Wolf, I guess. <laughs> or we'll just go through her catalog. Why not? <laughs> Works for me. Listeners, I know I say a version of this sentence almost every week, but this time I think I'm serious. I am packing my bags and moving to London. Have you read Virginia Woolf? And has this episode made you want to check out Mrs. Dalloway? I hope it has, and I'd love to hear what you think. Let me know on Instagram at Best Book Ever Podcast. I really look forward to hearing your thoughts. Remember, you can find links to all the books we discussed in the show notes or at my website, bestbookeverpodcast.com. And if you have a book you want to tell me about, click on the Be a Guest button on my website or Instagram bio so we can chat. Thank you for joining me today, and I will see you at the library.